we all really need to like let go of that critic in our heads that's saying, well, what if this doesn't work? What if this fails? What does that reflect upon me as an individual? Welcome back to a new season of Big Little Choices. This is Shree, and I'm so excited to bring you more stories, more inspiring choices, and more opportunities for all of us to learn about what other amazing women and mothers are doing. We really want this season to inspire you and to make a choice or choices that are right for you. If you've heard episodes from the previous season, I hope your takeaway was that you can make an unconventional choice, stay true to yourself, and still have a happy ending. Hope you enjoy the show. In today's episode, we will hear from Mariana, mom to two, cancer survivor, and business owner. Mariana tells a story of how she had to deal with an unexpected form of cancer, after which she and her husband made a choice to uproot their family to move across continents, and how she eventually started a business in a country where she had no network or support system. I wanted to start with hearing a little bit about what was your childhood like, and do you think that influenced you in terms of how you are now as an adult, and particularly as a mother? My mother was really focused on creativity. She had this kind of two aspects to her personality, the high achieving academic and the person who loved to make. So I grew up in a household where it was really normal to see something that you liked out in the world and say, let's see if we can figure out how to make it. So a sweater, a quilt, a um, piece of embroidery, all of these things for me, it was really normal to learn how to do these things. And so that's really affected me as an adult because I love to make all sorts of different things. And I feel very much like if I desire something, I can learn how to create it. I also want to hear a little bit more about your relationship with your own mother. I mean, it sounds like she was very inspiring. She focused on a bunch of different aspects of her own life, creativity wise, academically, all of that stuff. What was that relationship like? By and large, I had a really good relationship with my mother. We were very close. We spoke almost every day on the phone when I wasn't living in the same city as her. It was also complicated. She was someone who suffered from depression and anxiety. And that's something that I grew up with. Uh, I grew up being a little bit afraid of that and also saw some of those tendencies in myself. So as I grew up, I really learned to see that caring for my own mental health was something that was very important to me, particularly as I grew into being a mom, that I didn't um, want my kids to suffer for my own ups and downs. I want to be able to feel my feelings, but at the same time, I don't want them to dictate my life. And that's something that I really learned from, frankly, from watching my mother. She was a wonderful person, but really complicated. And sometimes things weren't that great. And so it was something that I felt like, you know what, I don't want those difficult times to be something my kids experience in that way. And I want to be a great example for them as I take care of myself and teach them how to take care of themselves. And you bring up such an important piece about taking care of yourself, right? Because I think what happens is once we become mothers, I think there is this expectation that we put everything else ahead of ourselves. And it's so well documented and known now that, you know, even things like postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety are all conditions that not just affect the mother, but also affect the child in some ways, right? So I'm really glad to hear that you had the awareness earlier on where you were able to recognize signs of your own mental health. 
and know how and when to take care of it in a way that you know would sort of make you be a better mom than you already were for your own children it is the idea that we need to care for ourselves in order to care for the people we love it's the oxygen mask on the airplane scenario that we can't be there for our children and our partners if we're not taking care of ourselves and doing so is not just a nice thing it's something that shows them how to care for themselves as well so it's a lesson that gets carried forth but for generations so let's now talk a little bit more about your own decision into you know how you chose to become a mother or finding a partner and then ultimately when you decided to have a family of your own when i was in my mid 20s i moved to michigan for graduate school literally the first week i was in ann arbor i met a man through one of my housemates and we really clicked pretty instantaneously and you know it was the man who became my husband and we've been together ever since so that's 13 plus years now we did the pretty traditional route you know marriage then kids and um didn't want to wait too too long partially for me because my parents are older um they waited a, a pretty long time before uh settling down and having kids and i knew that i wanted to have a little bit more energy for running after active kids and so we had our first kid when i was 30 and i'm really glad that we did it at that age because my first child was very very active and we really needed a lot of energy for him and doing it any later would have been you know we would have had a different kid but he he required a lot of energy how were the early days or rather early months with your first stressful i i mean i grew into being a parent pretty pretty seamlessly in terms of like i i'd always babysat i'd always been around a lot of kids and i i love children and infants but i didn't realize how little you know when you come home from the hospital and while the hospital provides great care they don't provide great education or great transition to parenthood and so we had a lot of those stressful moments in the very beginning where you know you're wondering if something's wrong you know nothing's really wrong but you keep feeling like wait 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 what's what's going on what's wrong what's wrong here um so the little things of like he would bust out of the swaddle all the time and we'd get really nervous that he was going to inhale his blanket very very nervous about sids and following all of the rules and making sure that we were doing everything in the safest way possible so it was really anxiety invoking um i also felt like i wanted my space to grow into parenthood on my own which in hindsight was probably a little bit of a mistake i told a few too many people that we didn't need the help and we probably would have been better off with it having had my second child in a very different circumstance i see how nice it is for people to come and help you So at some point then you decide to have another kid what was that experience like and what happened then So when our older son was about 2 years old we decided that we were ready to start trying again for another child and shortly after that I got pregnant and knew that something was off with the pregnancy I kept having my early pregnancy symptoms come and go so I'd have the typical breast tenderness that you would have for days and then all of a sudden it would be gone 
and I called my midwifery practice about this and they're like, oh, you know, it's probably nothing. You'll feel like a sense of relief, you know, that it that it's gone and come back and it'll be fine. And a little bit after that, I started to notice, notice some bleeding, some spotting, and it kept building. And I eventually realized that I was likely having a miscarriage. Mariana immediately went to the hospital and it was confirmed that she was in the middle of a miscarriage. She finished miscarrying at home and since the bleeding didn't stop even after 10 days, she went back to the hospital to get her blood levels checked. What the doctors found was that Mariana's HCG, or human growth hormone levels, which at this point should have been 5 or under, were at a crazy high of over a million. Now these numbers are usually found in someone who is having a twin pregnancy, or in Mariana's case, she had a molar pregnancy. Molar pregnancies are rare, about one in a thousand, and most of them resolve on their own or with a DNC. But in Mariana's case, turned cancerous with a tumor the size of a golf ball in her uterus. Following this, Mariana had to have a couple more DNCs to see if the doctors could get all the tissue out of her system. But since the hormone levels did not come down to the desired numbers, she had to start chemotherapy. I ended up having nine months of chemotherapy, first on a very low dose, fairly tolerable regimen, and then one that was higher dose and much harder. I was having rigorous IV treatments that caused my hair to fall out and um, taking lots of steroids so that I wouldn't reject the medication or have big allergic reactions. But it was a very hard way to, to lose a pregnancy and really kind of threw our lives out of whack for a pretty long time. And raising a toddler while doing that was incredibly challenging, always feeling like I never had energy to be really present with him. And in the midst of that, uh, in the midst of all of that, my mother was dying. So it was kind of one of those years from hell that you kind of, you know, you hear about every once in a while. And it was very traumatic to live through it. Uh, but it did give me a lot of perspective on parenthood and what I want for myself in life and helped me uh, move forward uh, in a way that has just kind of so much more confidence and at the same time, empathy for the challenges of the, of the day-to-day and you know, creating space for joy as much as I can. So what helped you during this difficult phase in your life? Like were there certain things or certain people that you feel like really helped you sort of like come out of it stronger and wiser, like you just said? Absolutely. I had tremendous support from my friends. I mean, at every step of the way, I had friends that drove me up to New York to visit with my um, specialist at Memorial Sloan Kettering. I had friends who uh, held my hands during my mother's funeral. I I unfortunately had to have chemo on the day of my mother's funeral. So they took me to the doctor's office, supported me while I had chemo there. I actually had to see my mother's doctor because she didn't live in the same city as me. So I actually went to my mother's oncologist for a special round of treatment while I was down there for her funeral. And they were like my rocks completely throughout all of this. 
but most important was my husband. I, you know, this is, you can't do this without a strong, committed partnership. And, um, well, you can, but it's much easier to, to have someone who's at your side all the time. And whether that partner is your significant other or a friend or a family member, you do need that one person who's going to be at the beck and call for you. And so he was always the one who was watching a movie in bed with me if I needed it, or making sure that our son had something fun to do, whether it was with him or with a family friend or something like that, so that um, my son wasn't seeing the stress of this too much. And ripping up the carpet with me when I had crazy bursts of energy from the uh, steroids that they give you. And he was really just the most amazing support I could have asked for. So how soon after this did you both start reconsidering this idea of getting pregnant again? We worried a lot that the next pregnancy would be another molar pregnancy. And it took us a couple of years to start feeling comfortable trying. And then after that, we had another miscarriage, which was a pretty normal miscarriage and actually in comparison, it felt like not as big of a deal. You know, I knew that that one wasn't working too. It was ending in a very typical way and ending much earlier. So I was able to kind of recollect and move on faster from that one. One of the big factors for us on deciding to continue, though, was how deeply and desperately our son wanted a sibling. He was so expressive about it. And, you know, you don't want to base your decision about having more kids just on your child's desire to have a sibling. But when you're kind of on the fence and you're like, oh, this, you know, like we could do it, we could do it again. Like I kind of felt like, all right, we'll give it one try, like one last try. And if it works this time, great. And if not, we're done. Because I really, at that point, was like, I can't have another miscarriage. Like, I've done it enough. It's too rough on me. It's too rough on my body. And so we kind of gave it one last college try. And, um, and it worked. Uh, it just worked at a funny time. Because right when we got pregnant, my husband started to get recruited for a job in the Netherlands. And so we're newly pregnant in a high-risk situation and starting to consider moving to another continent at a time where I would be still quite pregnant. So it was a bit of an unusual transition to pregnancy again, but it ended up being a really wonderful thing for us because when you, when you have a molar pregnancy and then subsequently get pregnant, you're really only high-risk until they're able to determine that that pregnancy is not molar. That occurs by the end of the first trimester. And so we knew that we were going to be around for that whole first trimester. And when I broached the topic with my doctor, he was very much supportive because the Netherlands has one of the best maternity care programs in the world. But Mariana, I'm assuming that, you know, although it sounds like it was a very exciting work opportunity for your husband, your doctor was supportive of your move, was there still any fear or any hesitation in terms of 
uprooting yourself. You have a young child who had never grown up outside of the U.S. You yourselves, I'm assuming, um, had never really lived outside of the U.S. other than traveling. And, you know, uprooting yourselves from what sounds like you had an amazing community of friends and all of that to go to a new country and, you know, to to a small town where presumably you'd really have to start from scratch in order to build your community, your career and all of that stuff. Tell me a little bit more about that decision-making process. We both had a bit of a travel bug in us and wanted to see more of the world and felt a bit like there's not much point in waiting. Particularly with my health scare, with losing my mother, a lot of people put off traveling until much later in life. And for us, we felt like, why? You know, we're like healthy now. And our health in the future isn't guaranteed. Our son was excited to go to a new place. And we really honestly felt more excitement than nerves. You had a lot of clarity around what your priorities were. And you had that perspective, right? Because I oftentimes, I mean, we grew up in India. We've been here for almost 20 years now. And I oftentimes think about, would we move back? How would life be there? And even uprooting ourselves from San Francisco to go back to a city that we grew up in feels very difficult and feels very daunting, right? Like there's this this fear of what if we don't like it? What if it's not the kind of life we envision for ourselves? So to hear that you chose to do it and move to a city where you didn't really know anybody, where you were kind of starting from scratch with a toddler is pretty incredible, really inspiring. I frankly feel like I felt more nerves moving to the suburbs than I did moving to a different country. And for me, a large part of it was because people talk about finding your forever home. And that concept scared the living daylights out of me, that you move someplace and that's where you're gonna live forever. And I find that so much fear is taken away when you say, we're going to try this. And if it works, that's great. If it doesn't work, we'll move on to the next thing. Whatever is the point that works for you in to find comfort in taking a risk, that is really valuable. So for us with the Netherlands, we decided we were going to move there for two years. And if we liked it, we could extend it. If not, then we would go home. We've been there for three years, so we, we felt like we've made a really good decision and you know a risk that has paid off. So I also want to hear about how you thought this choice to move would or maybe wouldn't affect your son, who by that point was about six years old. I know that it's a very stressful thing for adults. So how do you prepare a kid for a move? And so we spoke to a school psychologist And she was lovely in helping us prepare for the conversation. And the biggest thing she said is, don't over talk it, you know, present the idea, share that you're excited about it, and let your kid have their feelings. And don't over don't discuss it too much that first day, and kind of consider it an ongoing conversation. And while we were nervous, before we talked to him, When we raised it with him, he was so excited from the very beginning. He really just viewed this as an adventure. And he viewed this as an adventure to have with a sibling, that he knew that we were 
that I was pregnant, that we were going to be, you know, knock wood having a kid. And he saw this as a fun thing to do with his coming sibling. And you know how they say that children are far more resilient than you give them credit for, right? We just switched our son and he's actually going to an Italian immersion school. It's a new language. It's a new school. He had a lot of buddies in his old school. But my husband keeps reminding me that as parents, our responsibility is to stretch our children in a way that is in a contained and safe environment where, you know, it's not like there's any trauma or any of that associated with it, but more around how do you make your children more resilient and more adaptable? I think adaptability is one of the biggest gifts that we can give our children. Absolutely. It's been a a sea change. He was, he's always been a wonderful kid and always been really, really high energy and fun. But sometimes it took a little while for people to get to know him because he, because he was just fearful of getting to know new new people and being in a new place has helped him learn to get over that and also it's just made him really really excited to learn about different cultures once you got settled into the netherlands you decided to start a business so what was it like to do it in a new country new environment where presumably you didn't have the same support system the same network How did all of that come together? The concept for the business had been whirring around in my brain for a long time, in large part because of how active my son is, and he was always tearing through his pants, and I would, you know, buy pants from companies that said that they had reinforced knees, and they were never lasting for him, and they weren't necessarily companies whose values I really believed in and supported. And as someone who's an environmentalist, I really wanted to be just making better purchases for my son. And so I decided to solve that problem myself. And doing so while I was abroad, it made sense in many ways and presented many challenges. Process of learning how to start a business in Europe was not easy. And I think It made me dive in, in a way that I wouldn't have done if I was in just if I was in the United States, um, because I felt like I had to really learn everything as quickly as possible. And so maybe I would have had a bit of a slower start in the US. But this, I think, was the right choice for me, because I've learned so much in just little over a year that my company Jackalow has been around. And you had never been in the apparel industry or in the retail business before, correct? Career-wise? Career-wise, no. I had spent my career in public health and health communications. Uh, So I was familiar with talking about specific issues related to health and the environment. And that undergirds a lot of what I do with Jackalow and kind of my why of Jackalow, that I want clothes that are better for the people who make them and for the kids who wear them. I did not have any direct experience in fashion. I had always made things. So I started making clothes when I was a kid. I made my high school graduation dress. I've made lots of clothes for the kids in my life, whether it's my own children or kids of friends or family members. It was an avocation rather than a vocation. So do you have any advice for women and particularly moms who want to make a choice that might seem daunting or scary, but is right for them and their families? And 
might not be something that other people would agree on, but definitely works for them and their children. I think that our own internal critics can be the hardest critic there is. And people often are thinking much less about the choices you make than you are thinking. And so when you're faced with a really big choice, we all really need to like let go of that critic in our heads that's saying, well, what if this doesn't work? What if this fails? What does that reflect upon me as an individual? It's hard to move into the unknown, but that voice in your head that's holding you back is not necessarily trying to help you. Um, it's trying to protect you, but that's not the same thing as help. The analogy that I really love is one from Elizabeth Gilbert in the book, Big Magic, and she talks about fear. And I really connect our own internal critic to that fear, that voice of fear in your head. And so the way she talks about fear is as if you're on a road trip and fear is there and fear is in the car and you tell fear, you can be in the car, like I know you're trying to protect me, I know you're trying to keep me safe, but I'm in charge. So you can be in the car, but you don't have control of the wheel. You don't even have control of the radio. But I hear you and I see that you're trying to help me. So you just stay back there and I'll take control. And that way of thinking about self-criticism and fear has something that's been really valuable to me. And I think it can be really valuable to anybody who's struggling with a choice to make. Thank you for listening to this episode and I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back soon with another interview. And until then, if you have any feedback or comments on the kinds of choices you want to hear more about, let me know.